Welcome to another episode of our mini podcast, I Built a Company That Makes a Difference by B1. Here we talk to founders of sustainable businesses to get their takes on how and why they started their companies and lessons learned along the way. Today, my guest is Jen Broadwick, the VP of Sales for Brixie. Brixie is the maker of an entire line of 100% plastic-free shampoos, conditioners, and body soaps. Their website describes the company's origin being born from the idea that exceptional hair and body care doesn't need to come in a plastic bottle. So I myself have been toying for years with the transition to exclusive, exclusively using bar soaps, and this conversation might just do it for me. I have a lot of questions for Jen uh, about Brixie, about the products, but more importantly, about the journey to building Brixie. So Jen, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thank you, Amber. Yeah, I'm really excited to be here. And yeah, just want to overextend our gratitude that you're having us on and for what you guys do at B1. So having a conversation around sustainability and giving brands and entrepreneurs and consumers, you know, a platform to have this conversation is really fun. So anytime we can get into the nitty gritty of like how we launched Brixie and the products and the journey of sustainability, it's always a fun thing for us. So thank you for saying that. Yes, we love what we do and we love talking to entrepreneurs and, and folks who have built, especially businesses, but especially with sustainability in mind, it's a really special group of people. And it's the community that we found that we've been embedded into now. It's it's amazing. So much uh, information sharing, so much yeah. like information, knowledge sharing, uh, experience sharing. It's just like everybody is really, really excited and motivated for everybody to succeed in this space. So exactly. That's on. kind of how I feel when we started launching Brixie and we started having conversations with, you know, vendors and partners and other entrepreneurs. Like one of the things that I really gravitated to was this like cheerleader mentality of, you know, if everyone else does better collectively, we'll all, you know, get to where we want to be and change, you know, the course of the plastics industry or whatever it is our mission is. But as long as we're all aligned and we're all supporting each other, I think we're going to get there a lot faster. So I love that sort of like cheerleader mentality for everyone in this industry that we've met so far. It's great. Yeah. A rising tide lifts all boats. Exactly. Yeah. Takes a village. <laughs> yes, for sure. It takes a planet. <laughs> So can we start by you telling us more about yourself and about your background? Yeah, so always good to talk about myself. Um, my name is Jen Broadwick. Um, I am the, I'm a co-founder, but I'm also the head of sales and marketing at Brixie. I recently stepped in to take on our marketing uh, for the company as well. We're a small team of, I like to jokingly say two and a half, um, because Kevin, our founder, is you know somewhat retired. He's sitting in more of a founder and product development role and sort of steering the ship. Uh, but Trey, our CEO, and I are running it day to day. So uh, we wear many hats, as as people that are listening to this probably also do as well. Um, and my background actually comes from CPG, but also some software. So I kind of cut my teeth in Austin in the software world. Um, Austin, Texas, for anyone that's listening that's not familiar with Austin. It's a great place. If you need to go visit a place, that's the one to go see. Um, just not in the summertime when it's 100 million degrees outside. But um, I kind of have a multi um, you know, product background. I didn't grow up in CPG. Um, I have had a really incredible journey with um, better for you products, clean products, and now sustainable products. And so um, our, our founder, Kevin, is also my partner. Um, so we got married back in 2017. 
Um, and he has been just helping me along with my journey and understanding ingredient selection and like what I'm putting on my body. And it really started thinking, it started me down the road of thinking about all the products that I'm purchasing, like, how is it affecting me? How is it affecting my system? And, um, you know, with Brixie, our conversation naturally evolved to packaging and the whole life cycle of products that we consume in our day-to-day life. And so it's been a really fun journey for me. Um, he and I live in Park City, Utah now. We've been here for about two and a half years. Um, we actually started Brixie back in Texas, though. So um, we've moved around a little bit, as many people did whenever COVID was happening in 2020. So we're really happy to be where we are now. Are you, do you think you'll be in, in Park City for a while? We will, yeah. So it surprised us. We've been coming to Park City for years just in the wintertime to do, you know, ski trips and have some fun in the mountains and be in nature. And um, we moved out here. We kept our house in Austin and we moved out here just to have some space, get away from everything for a while. You know, everyone was, you know, sheltering at home and kind of like not going out anyways. Um, So we thought, why not do some hiking and um, outdoor experiences and adventures? And within six months, we put our house on the market because it was just so perfect for our lifestyle. Um, So, you know, this is a town filled with adventurers. It's like everyone's going to be outside in nature doing something at any point in the year. So whether it's skiing or cross-country skiing, downhill skiing, snowshoeing in the the wintertime, or it's mountain biking, cycling, hiking in the summer, um, it's basically a giant playground for people that like to be outside. So (laughs) we're definitely going to stay. We've put down roots. We've got a great community around us that was um, really, we're just so lucky to have with our neighbors and our friends. So it's been, it's been great. I actually grew up in Grand Junction, Colorado, which is not too far away from Park City. So that's very, very similar in terms of like everything outdoors in that part of the like high desert, lots of skiing, lots of biking, kayaking, climbing, cross country yep. running, lots of it. It's such a unique part of the country. It's an amazing place to It is. Place and, you know, if you'd asked me five, 10 years ago, you know, would you ever consider moving to Utah? I would have been like, excuse me, what? Like, why? <laughs> what is there? National parks, I get that, but I didn't know anything else about it. And so we've really enjoyed exploring this, you know, amazing state. And um, there's so much to do and it's beautiful. So really happy with the move. We'll be here for a long time. Nice. And you're originally from Texas. I am. Yeah. I grew up sort of as an expat um, child with my family. My father was in oil and gas for his entire career. One company, 40 years, if you can imagine. Um, It's not really how we do things nowadays in our generation. (laughs) But um, yeah, he uh, that job took us many places. We lived in the Middle East for a few years. We lived in the UK for a few years. Um, my parents decided to keep the kids stable and moved us back to Houston at some point. And he continued to take projects and move on, um, to various countries around the world, lived in Southeast Asia for 17 years, which I appreciated because I got to go visit and, you know, really experience that, that part of the world. Um, and I really attribute that to like my love and my curiosity of people and cultures and food and just kind of all things, um, that are on this planet. And so um, I really appreciate that upbringing because I think it definitely left me with um, the natural inkling of a child going, you know, like, how do I learn about this? And what are these people like? And how do I experience new things? And so it's been um, really nice to have that as kind of a baseline for my childhood. But Texas is really where I say I come from um, because I lived there for most of my life and I did go to university there um, in, in Houston 
and worked there for many years before we moved here to Utah. So it's okay. kind of like where I've really had my, my, the core of my life is in right. Texas. Okay. And how long have you been with Brixie? Since the very wow, beginning? Okay. <laughs> it feels so much longer than it is, right? Um, the life of a, a co-founder, entrepreneur. Um, so we started, let me back up. Kevin had a previous company that was acquired in 2020. I was working in software sales at a large tech firm in Austin. And during COVID and in 2020, when that acquisition happened, you know, he had this, he's always had this book of ideas and being like an idea entrepreneurial guy, like he's always written down his ideas. And he had this concept um, that allowed him to basically continue with the expertise he has with building really safe, non-toxic um, products that work really well in terms of like body care and hair care and, and things you put on your skin. Um, and he wanted to continue that, but he wanted to make it more sustainable. So he already had the concept of Brixie kind of laid out in his plans. And with his company that was acquired, he had actually started formulating the products into solid formats and testing them to see how they would perform. So this idea of becoming more of a sustainably driven um, product company was already in the back of his mind in 2020. Um, he kind of plucked me out of software and said, hey, you know, you know, we're let's move, let's get out of Texas with COVID happening, let's work on this company. Um, and so I ended up leaving my software job to help start Brixie. And we started researching, you know, manufacturers and formulations. And we already had a lot of great connections with ingredient manufacturers, um, you know, third-party manufacturers in different ways. And so uh, we started just kind of like putting our feelers out there and asking for introductions to different folks that could help us build the products we wanted with Brixie. Um, I was also working on another idea that he had at the time, which I can't say anything about because it's about to launch and he's very excited about it. But um, he also wanted to pull in his best friend, Trey, who is now the CEO of Brixie, um, because Trey helped him run his previous company for 15 years. And, you know, they've been best friends for going on 30. Um, so all three of us together sort of took different parts of it and said, OK, let's, you know, divide and conquer. Let's go solve these problems and what it would take to get Brixie ready for market. Um, so we started doing that in 2020, but really picked it up in 2021, um, you know, got our branding done, really spent a ton of time working on the brand personality and what the packaging was going to look like, how we wanted to approach the market and, and how we wanted to approach such an important problem of plastic waste, but do it in a really fun, light way um, that really resonated, I think, with a lot of people instead of making them feel like, oh gosh, it's another thing I need to do to do better for myself or the planet. Like we wanted it to be really positive and upbeat. Um, and so taking all of those different things, we started really putting the pieces of Brixie together in 2021. We launched in 2022, in May of 2022. And so now we've only actually been on the market for 15 months, which blows my mind because I feel like I've been working on it for so long. Um, all of us kind of joke and laugh and be like, has it been that long? You know, we've lived in Park City for two and a half years and we had started already kind of working on it before then. So it's it's been a journey. Um, but yeah, it's uh, like launching in 20 in May of 2022 till now has been such a wild ride and a fast, fun adventure um, that it feels like a decade has gone by, to be honest. Yeah, I'm sure. I mean, that is the beauty slash terrifying thing about having your own venture is like, oh my goodness, I was just joking with a podcast uh, guest 
yesterday when, you know, time has, it's just, it's such a weird con. Sometimes you're like, oh my God, I forgot to eat all day. Yeah. And, you know, it's just, like, and then you think, oh my God, has have 15 months gone by? Is that it? It feels like, you know, as you said, it feels like a decade. So yeah. you decided to leave your job in software in 2020. I did. Yes. Okay. I mean, it wasn't a, a, the hardest decision ever, right? I was okay. Going Even with COVID office. raging, it was and like COVID, COVID raging. We, uh, we had, uh, my company I was previously at, like, it was like in the office every day, um, sort of a thing. We didn't really have a work from home set up. Um, and so it was when we started working from home, um, I think it was maybe a week or two when we started working from home that I gave them my notice of an intention okay. to leave and go help Kevin start his next venture. Um, and they were, my team and my people, they were so incredible. I really loved it. I loved going to work there every day. Um, you know, but it was software. It wasn't something that I woke up every morning was like, yeah, let's go Mm -hmm. sell some software. This is making a difference in someone's life. So it was really, um, you know, the team and the culture and the people were great. It was just not something that I was super passionate about. Um, and when Kevin and I started talking about like what life could be like, you know, having this mission-based brand and waking up every day and solving a problem like, you know, plastic waste and making products that I got to test and use and love myself mm-hmm. um, and work out of coffee shops and travel and meet retailers and like learn this whole new world of CPG that I, I had dabbled in in my younger life and really felt like, you know, I could make a difference in and be good at. It just was an easy decision for me. Um, and I had been at my software company for a few years at that point. And so I was mm-hmm. sort of getting to the point of like, okay, maybe I want to try something new anyways. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was a natural kind of like transition over to, over to Brixie. Okay. And now here we are. Here we are. Yes. And now I just, you know, sell plastic free bar soaps and shampoos every day. So it's super fun. (laughs) That is, that is cool though. I mean, the site, if for our listeners, if you haven't gone to the site, like as soon as you see the site, at least for me, I was like, Oh, I like this. I really like this feeling. So what about the first product? Like, did you, did, did you guys, when you were developing your products and your product set, how did you decide what to launch with? Was it like, let's, let's get out there with one product. Did you um, kind of test it, trial it? I don't know. um, Farmers markets, things like that. A lot of our guests who who do health and beauty, they kind of, they start slow. Sometimes it's a side project. You guys dove straight into this as a full-time gig, but how did you decide on that first set of products to launch? Yeah. So, um, we did, we dove in as a full-time situation, um, because it was, we felt like we were at a moment in our specific niche in our category where if we didn't dive in all in that we would Mm -hmm. miss our moment. Right. And so, um, there were, we looked at the landscape of other brands doing kind of what we wanted to be doing and what the area we wanted to play in, which is like solid hair care, body care, facial care. Um, and, there's not that many, but we could see the, we could see it coming, right? Like the big wave of like brands really wanting to jump on the sustainable category. Um, and we've been working on it for a while. So we already sort of had this like baseline knowledge of like, who were the main players? You know, what were their product assortments? Um, we of course did a full deep dive of all of the different um, products on the market, you know, what made them unique? What were their talking points and call outs? And what was the, you know, range of the products that these other brands had that we really respected and um, appreciated what they were doing already and enjoyed ourselves. 
Um, and we took that and we said, okay, we need to start, we need to go full in. Um, and what are we going to start with was the question. And so what we decided to start with was a line of hair care with a body care complement. So we didn't want to just do shampoo and conditioner bars. Um, we wanted to have like a body wash that could go along with this. So you could have like a full shower experience, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's kind of how we got to, okay, let's launch with a shampoo, conditioner and body wash. Um, and we launched with nine SKUs. Um, all at once. Um, And we basically had one formula for shampoo, one formula for conditioner, one formula for body wash, um, because we didn't really have time to like test everything and get all of the different variations of everything we had in our heads ready. But we knew that we wanted to come to market with something that appealed to a wide range of potential customers. So um, we came up with this really great formula. Um, It's our balance and hydrate formula for our hair care. It's essentially a shampoo bar that's designed to balance the the soil or soil, the oil production on your head. Um, So, you know, the grease on your hair and then also hydrate your strands in the process. Um, So we looked at a lot of the things that, you know, what are people worried about when it comes to solid hair care in a bar format? And a lot of those things were just people not understanding the concept of the ingredients that are going into it, how to use it. The basics of how to store it. Um, and so we tried to really answer those questions, but we knew that we just wanted a product that was going to appeal to most customers to get our, you know, our skin in the game and get our products out into the hands of real users. Um, and so again, kind of backing up, we wanted to to, to go quickly because uh, we felt like that moment was happening where if you're, if you're too early, then you're kind of spinning your wheels a little bit, getting consumers ready for a product that's maybe a new thing. It's going to change your behavior. Um, and where that's what we're really asking people to do is change something that they maybe have been accustomed to doing a different way their entire life. Um, and so we wanted to make sure that we had a really good assortment, um, at least to the point that someone would go, oh, this is more than just a one one trick pony. Um, OK, I can get into this and dig a little deeper and really understand more about their mission, what they're trying to do or the products that they have. Um And also we didn't want to be too late to the game and say, oh, let's just be careful. Let's go slow. Let's have one product Um, or maybe two, like if it was just shampoo and conditioner or just a body soap. Um, You know, if we did that and, you know, we had the boom that we were anticipating and banking on, you know, we'd be then late to the game. Right. Um, Having the conversations with the retail buyers, introducing ourselves to the customer yet again with something new and fresh and Um, We thought, why not just go all in and bet on this concept and idea that's already sort of out there. We weren't the first to come up with this idea. We just wanted to improve upon it, make it better, make it more mainstream. Um, And so that's kind of why what led us to, you know, all together agreeing that we needed to go head first and go big or go home kind of an idea um, and come with a good assortment of products. So we have three shampoo bars, three conditioner bars, and three body bars. They are the same formula, like I mentioned, um, but they have a scent variation. So people can choose the scent that they appeal to most. Okay. Well, yeah, go big. That's It's so nice when you can see market trends and you can see a window coming down the pike and you say, right, we've got to start this thing now to be ready for that. That's such a, that's such a a benefit. I've got two kind of different angles of question. One is on the business side Um, for this particular set of products. What are some of the idiosyncrasies about bar soaps, conditioners, shampoos that like an average person wouldn't know about that you had to account for in your production and in your ingredients list and in how you made your products, how you make your products. And on the other side is exactly what you had mentioned 
what are some of the objections that you come up against that people I'm sure it's it's a little bit different now as you said there there are bar soaps that are that are in existence um, and people have started to use them that general it's kind of seeped into the general uh, collective knowledge but on yeah. the on the consumer side what are some things that they're stopping people from making that transition that you guys then try to answer the questions or account for as well. So one is on the business side, one is on the consumer side. Yeah. So from, from the business side, I think some of the things to consider when you're changing the formulation from a, you know, 70 to 80%, 90% water-based formula that comes in plastic to something that's solid um, is how does it perform, right? So are you going to give the experience that the consumer is looking for? So you have to think about that in terms of the ingredients you're using. Um, we come from a really safe, clean background in terms of our, you know, the way that we build our products. So the, the company that Kevin had previously was called Think Baby and Think Sport. Um, and they are most well known for their sun care, but that was the first sun care to pass Whole Foods premium care requirements. He actually started that company because he was working in a lab funded by NIH that was studying the effects of toxic endocrine disrupting chemicals on the human body and what does it do in our system. And when he took that data and that peer-reviewed science to other product companies, he that they wouldn't change their ingredient list, even with the science right in front of them, because consumers didn't, they weren't asking for it, right? So there's no motivation for the businesses to make the change. So he went off and started his own company, which was a safe products company. So with that understanding of our background and kind of where we come from, we're already having really clear discussions on what's acceptable and what's not in terms of ingredients from a safety standpoint, um, but also having to formulate and think about things from an efficacy standpoint. These products that we're asking people to use have to work really well, if not better than what they're already using. Um, and so we had to be really um, creative and, and confident in this ingredient sel selection that we came up with and do a lot of testing um, and wanted to really nail that experience for consumers. Um, one of the weird things with bars that we didn't think about in the beginning, but we, you know, very quickly realized is that um, depending on the environment these bars are in, right? Like if they're, if they're left in a really super humid environment, that's super hot. Like if they're out in Phoenix, you know, just baking away, um, they, they start to kind of like melt a little bit. Um, but, that you know, sense. that doesn't happen if you're somewhere like where we are, where it's like super dry, high mountain desert climate. Um, so just thinking about the environment these products will be sitting in because they're not gonna be housed in a plastic bottle sort of protecting them from the elements. Um, and so that kind of, you know, also leads you down the path of, you know, the packaging that we're using and how we're storing them and stuff like that. So there's a, a whole different game of how do you keep your products efficacious from an ingredient standpoint, um, delivering the experience you want, but also keeping them, you know, safe and whole. And so they don't crumble and fall apart halfway through use because they're not contained in a plastic bottle. Um, and so really that was a, a fun challenge of getting to a point where we had confidence in our products. And I'm happy to say that, you know, we, we triple mill our bars so that they're really solid and they don't fall apart and crumble. And of course the ingredients selection um, from a safety standpoint, but also an experiential and efficacious standpoint, they work extremely well, but they also give that experience. We, we sort of like to call ourselves the best transition bar now because people want a sudsy shampoo experience. They want a conditioner that's going to detangle and give them slip and glide in the shower to hydrate their hair. So they're looking for these moments throughout their hair care routine that they can go, oh, this is familiar. I get it. And so we've really nailed that. I think on, if you look at the products on the market, we're going to be the closest to what you're used to if you're coming from a plastic bottle and a water-based product. Um, and so 
that was some of the stuff we really had to think through was just how are they going to perform, stand up, you know, in different environments. And then of course, you know, make sure that they're giving the experience that they need. Um, hopefully that answered your question enough. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. I think from the consumer side, you know, we we did a lot of, you know, polling with friends and family, but also consumers as we started getting our products out into the, you know, the market, but also retail buyers asking them, you know, as we had these conversations, you know, what are the biggest concerns you think you're going to come up against with your customers in your store? Um, you know, cause you might have different questions. You might have a really great health and natural market that has consumers that get it and they're on board, but they have really advanced higher level questions about, you know, formulation or ingredients. And then you might have somebody that just goes to their local grocery store. That's more of a conventional shopper. Um, that's not, you know, actively living quote unquote, a sustainable lifestyle. They're just doing their best living their life. And, you know, what are their objections going to be? Um, and that would be what I would think is the mass masses right now um, with our category. So we really went through all of those. And some of the big ones that kept coming up were, is it going to suds? Like, I don't really know if it's going to suds and clean my hair. And so that was a big one that people wanted was, again, the experience part of it. Um, another one is, is it going to dry out my hair? And that was really coming from them visually seeing a bar of soap and perceiving in their mind the the, you know, that feeling of like your skin is just sucked dry of moisture and they didn't want that for their hair. Right. And, and I think most consumers know that you don't want to take a bar of soap to your hair. That's not going to be a good experience. Um, and so really educating consumers and buyers kind of along the way these last 15 months on the ingredients that are in these products for your hair care, um, the fact that they're pH balanced and designed for your scalp and your, your hair's ecosystem, um, all of the different ways that it actually helps protect your skin barrier on your scalp and actually on your hair um, and how we formulated those products to really work on hair, just like a liquid water-based product would. Um, it's really been a fun conversation because you see these like aha moments as, as people are going, oh yeah, that makes complete sense to me. They just, they can't get past sometimes that visual of a bar of soap. Um, and so having that conversation, it, it's it's fast, like people are smart, they get it. Um, but having that conversation, bringing them around um, the corner, so to speak, to understanding that it is all the same ingredients in their bottles, we've just removed the water and triple milled these bars down to make it solid. So once they get that, they're like, okay, then how do I use it? How do I store it? It's more about just like the process of owning it and mm -hmm. using it. Um, and it's much faster um, at that point. And people are coming around in droves, I think once they have their first experience, it's, you know, they're hooked. I mean, it's like, okay, why would I even go back to my plastic bottles now and, and waste all of this plastic in the future? It's, it's an easy decision, I think. I mean, plastic aside, having, storing, transporting, like traveling with bars is so much easier. So and much then easier. of course you have yeah. the environmental impact of being hundred percent plastic free. Like there's so many pluses to this. So there's yeah. a range, obviously, of shampoos and conditioners based on hair types. For mm -hmm. your product, is there like an ideal hair type? Um, you know, it, it does it, it. You know, there's for dry hair, for oily hair, yeah. for your curly hair, for um, dyed hair. Is there a, a a tip, kind of a lane that you're in, or did you design it to be as broad as possible? So we did design these first SKUs to be as broad as possible and work really well across multiple hair types. So we're not trying to take care of like 
the segments yet. Um, that is coming. So we actually have products being launched later this year in Q4 that are going to launch into our functional hair care. So hair care does shampoo and conditioner designed for the X hair type, right? Mm -hmm. That's coming down the line. But what we really wanted to do within our first year was capture the widest range of, of potential customers and introduce them to this concept of solid hair care. And so to do that, we didn't want to have like, we couldn't go out and at the time build a function base for all the different hair care types we wanted to. So we said, let's get something that's an all around really great shampoo and conditioner that most people can have a really great experience with. Um, so I would say like the best customer for us is really just anyone that doesn't have a very specific goal. Like if you had extremely dry scalp, itchy scalp, or you had you know, uh, dandruff, or you had something going on that maybe required more medicated products or something. Really, our product is designed to work across all hair types, whether it's straight, curly, coily, it doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. um, and we've achieved that because of the ingredient selection again. So we don't use any sulfates uh, or any harsh cleansers that if you had curly hair or hair that needed more moisture, it would dry out. So we don't have any cleansers that are going to be so harsh that they strip away the moisture from your hair. Um, and then we've added in a lot of really great hero ingredients um, like coconut oil, cacao seed butter. I mean, I could go down a list, glycerin, um, you know, argan oil, things that people know, provitamin B, all of these really great humectants that hydrate hair, but not too heavily. So someone with, you know, hair like mine, that's fine and thin and kind of some, anything too heavy will weigh it down. I can use it, but also my friends that have thick curlier hair and they need more moisture, they're using it and they're having a great experience too. And I really attribute that the shampoo is wonderful. Um, I love that formula, but I really attribute our ability to work across all hair types to the conditioner. Um, and it's an amazing product. It's my favorite product that we carry. And the reason I love it is because it does work across all hair types because I can use a little bit and it goes a long way for me. It hydrates my hair. It keeps me nice and moisturized up in the dry climate of, of Utah. Um, but if you let it sit on your hair for a minute or two, the formulation of all the different oils and butters are actually designed to penetrate the cuticle and get to the core of the hair, helping dry and also water from the shower um, and helping really hydrate strands. So if you've got a curlier, a curly hair pattern, or you've got drier hair and you let it sit, it actually will work to help penetrate more to the whole core of the hair and help the curl take its shape and that cuticle smooth out and reduce any frizz that you might have going on. Um, and it's a leave-in conditioner. So I can use it or anyone could use it as a leave-in. Is leave it? Oh, that's super interesting. Yeah. I'm all about like multi-use products in my, in my own, you know, personal use. And so, um, this is something that I really love to highlight is like, Hey, it's not just a conditioner in the shower. Like take that bar with you. Once you, once you're out of the shower, you just rub it in your hands and get as much as you want on your fingertips and run it through, leave it in style as usual. It's amazing. And so now you've got two products, no plastic, right? <laughs> so it's, and, it, and because it works on multiple hair types, it's just so nice to see that it can be used in different ways based on the level of moisture that you're looking for. Um, and I just love that. I think it's it's the best out of the three, the shampoo, the conditioner, the body for me, that's the one that I love the most. I'm so intrigued now. Okay. I'm so <laughs> interested. Do you see, this is just a question that came to me because you mentioned most people know that they don't use bar soap on their hair. And I was thinking, oh, I have known, especially when I was younger, some young men who did not know that. So that mm -hmm. got me thinking about your split between like 
your customers and how they respond? Is there a difference between men and women and how they respond to, or they can, you know, just say, okay, great. I'll incorporate this immediately. There's, there's no barrier to understanding. Is there any difference that you're seeing when you do your customer discovery between men and women? Uh, for sure there is. Yeah. I think there's still a segment of the, the guys out there who don't, care that much. <laughs> uh, they're not worried, right, as much of their um, physical appearance, um, or maybe that's not the right thing to say. They're not worried and they're not too picky with the products they're using. If they feel like they're working, they're a fan for life, right? They're just easy customers. Um, but I do think that there's this whole group of, of, of men out there um, that are elevating their understanding of their personal care products. And I, I mean, you see that from all the different brands that are men specific, right? They're mm -hmm. really going after the male category, the male customer. And I think that it's helping sort of elevate their understanding of ingredients, their understanding and their, by default, like the care that they take with their personal hygiene. Um, and so I think that that's changed from what it was maybe even 10 years ago. Um, but yeah, there's definitely a difference. I think that when we're talking to couples at a trade show or, or in a retailer, if customers walk by and they're doing their shopping, we start talking, um, which is so fun. I love those moments. Those are some of my favorite conversations, but usually if there's a men and a men and a woman there, you know, the women's like, Oh, really curious, asking all these really insightful questions. How does it perform? What should I expect? How do you use it? And the guy's just like, it's a bar just everywhere. I understand how to use it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So there's definitely that group. But I do think that, you know, there's become more of an elevated consciousness within um, the male customer base that they're looking for an experience, they're looking for brand, um, that's kind of changing. And it's becoming a lot more mainstream for them to shop more like, you know, women tend to do with, you know, is the packaging giving me a certain vibe? Is it going to experience, are the ingredients something that appealed to me and looking for things that um, they feel might actually benefit any specific need that they might have. So I think it's changing, but there definitely is still a very clear difference. Yeah, that's funny. Okay. Mm -hmm. And since you take care of the sales and marketing, a lot of the district, I mean, I'm sure distribution from day one has has fallen under your remit. So can we talk a little bit about how you secured that first distribution partnership? Um, sure. Did it come about organically? Was it something that you really were selective about? Was it, you know, I think I think I read that you guys are in Whole Foods now. We are. Yeah, we actually, so we launched our hair care. Thank you. Yeah, that's, it's a huge deal for us, um, especially within our first year of business. That was one of those pinch me moments yeah. <laughs> um, that were like, is this happening? Wow, this is amazing. We got the word from Whole Foods back in January that we would be, they'd be bringing in our hair care into every single store in the U.S. Uh, in May. That started in May rollout. Our body washes also just landed um, in a select group of stores. So I think there's around 500 Whole Foods markets in the U.S., um, hair care is in all of them. Body care is going to be in about, I want to say 300. So not 100% of the stores, but a really large subset. Um, so we're just thrilled to be partnered with them. They are obviously the leader in health and natural here in the States. Um, and we have a great relationship with them too, like hailing back to our previous company. So 
think days, you know, that's something that, um, you know, we really wanted to make sure that we were aligned with the ingredients they would want, the customer shopping at Whole Foods. We wanted our product to meet their needs and really get them excited about plastic-free options. So when we were building our brand, we were thinking about that. You know, we were thinking about the different types of customers in the targets of the world and the Whole Foods of the world and like, what do they look for and what appeals to them? Um, because we knew we had, you know, a shot at capturing, you know, a really interesting segment and we wanted to make sure that we did it right. So from day one, we've really had the Whole Foods customer in mind. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah, so when it comes to, when it came to distribution, you're like, there is a partner that they work with that we were like, we got to get them. Yeah. If we want to get this retailer, we've got to get distribution into this, um, you know, partner over here. So um, we started having those conversations pre-launch. We started reaching out to that partner. Um, that we worked with at our previous company too. So I will say there was an element of understanding how they operate, mm -hmm. how they, you know, the process of selecting a brand to onboard into their distribution systems and how you activate warehouses. Like we really had a good base knowledge because of that previous company. Um, Trey and I handled this together. And so it wasn't just all me. I don't want to take all the credit. We we took, you know, all of Trey's knowledge as the CEO and previously head of sales at Think. And we said, okay, here are the steps we've got to take before we approach them. We've got to have all of our ducks in a row. And when we did, Amber, it was like lights on, smiles. Like the guy literally said after we presented to him, yes, let's do this. Amazing. Was it. it was the, the most shocking. And I was almost like, wait, what? <laughs> this is incredible. So we got really lucky. And I think it it really ended up being that easy because of a few things. One is the trust that we'd already built with our previous brand, right? They understood how we operated. We understood how they operated. They knew that we had the right knowledge base and skill set to properly scale with them. Um, and not cause any disruption in supply chain, which was a huge problem, you know, back when we were doing this presentation yeah. at the beginning of 2021 mm -hmm. uh, or 2022, like, yeah, people were still experiencing massive supply chain issues from COVID. So, um, you know, their comfort and um, trust in our team, specifically Kevin and Trey, I was new to the team, so I didn't add to that yet. But um, these guys, they came in, they already knew kind of like what to expect with them. And then also we had an amazing category and product. And when you look at the branding, I think it speaks volumes. We constantly get really great feedback on the, the brand colors and the design and just the the happiness it emulates and there everyone is saying how great the packaging is and how much they want to try it because of it just makes them feel a certain way so it's true i, I confirm it was, it's great branding thank you yeah we put a lot of love into that um so it was the branding it was the trust but also it was the category right like the timing of it and that kind of comes back to your previous question of like did you want to start with one or kind of ease into it or go full on like that's also why we wanted to go full on is because we knew that this category was really about to boom. Um, Kevin and Trey went through this same experience with the clean products movement. So they started their company, their safe products company back in 20, 2007, um, you know, before people really understood the importance of selecting ingredients that were not harmful to our bodies. And as they evangelized and grew, that movement had a moment where if you weren't already on board, like the next day, there was a slew of companies vying for, you know, customers. And, and that's fine. That's the way of business, right? And capitalism and the way the world works. But we knew from that experience that if we weren't ready and we weren't already there, we hadn't secured our spot as one of the top leaders in the category. When that boom happens, like we'd be playing from behind. Yeah, so that'd be a real fight. 
-hmm. it would, yeah, it'd be an uphill battle. And so we wanted to be, our goal was to make Brixie one of the top three to five uh, brands within the category within our first year. Um, And so we needed distribution. We needed retail partnerships to help us achieve that because with any new category, especially if you're trying to change a consumer behavior, you're going to need a few things on your side. You're going to need a great product with great branding that speaks for itself. Um, You're going to need retailers on board to help spread the word and get your product in front of eyes that you might not find online, you know, and you've got to have, you know, an actual movement. So there's got to be interest and growth within that category. And when you have all three, it's sort of a recipe for immediate success, not immediate success, but it's a recipe for success if you do all the rest of it right. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you're going to need, um, you're going to need a lot of that. And so we specifically with our first year went heavy on approaching retailers where a lot of brands were still playing in the e-com only world Mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. because of the boom of COVID, right? Like when COVID happened, it made retail really hard. Um, We were sort of coming out of that, but it was still really kind of scary for brands to be approaching retailers because there's a lot of nuances that go along with that, you know, making sure you don't go out of stock on everything that requires, you know, funding to make sure you can invest in the inventory and hold that inventory before, you know, before it sells it's a balancing act um, and it's not easy. So um, we decided, you know, let's put all of our ducks and bet on this category with people that get it. And we knew that our buyers in health and natural would get it, you know? So that's kind of where, what led our decision to go heavy on into retail. Um, And so it worked out because yeah, we're in whole foods, we're national at sprouts, farmers markets. They have all nine of our SKUs. Um, So we're in multiple categories at the shelf. Um, so that is increasing our brand awareness for, you know, consumers that are just finding us within these retail, cha- retail um, businesses. And it's been a fun ride, but it's definitely been, you know, a fast, wild one and, and a struggle at times. Like it's not always easy, you know, like having um, the right checks and balances in place to grow that quickly is mm-hmm. difficult um, and then keep the wheels on, right? Like, and not let everything just sort of uh, fall apart within the madness. So it's, um, yeah, it's been a, definitely a challenge and continues to be a challenge, but a really exciting one at the same time. So as any other entrepreneur that's listening to this can probably agree with, you know, there are days when we're just like on top of the world and we feel like, yeah, Brixie's going to take over the world and everyone's going to go plastic free. It's going to be amazing. And then there are days where it's like, oh my gosh, it feels like an uphill battle and I'm just pushing along. Right. So you have to manage the smiles and the cries along the way. Like you can't get too over enthusiastic about stuff and you can't get down when things feel like they're super hard. You just got to keep pushing and believe in your mission. So. Mm -hmm. So then two questions for me, one for folks who order directly from your website, what are all the markets that, that you ship to? Okay. So we only ship to the U S right now. Um, we do have a partner in Canada, but they handle all of our distribution in Canada. So they're handling all the retail relationships and online, even our like Amazon and stuff, they're doing that. So for Brixie U S we only ship to the U S right now. Uh, we have started expanding with international business partners, distributors, um, but we're letting them sort of own their regions rather than, you know, we don't have the ability right now to hire a bunch of staff and team members that can navigate all the intricacies of selling in um, other countries. Mm -hmm. And so what we've done is we've said, hey, let's approach these different distributors that might be interested in offering a product like Brixie. Um, And we've started launching in other countries. So we've recently just launched in Singapore most most recently. Um, 
there are some Latin American countries and some other Southeast Asian countries that are uh, we're talking to and we're definitely excited about growing within. Um, but we're going to let those distributors like own their regions. Um, and that comes with like the marketing and the sales and everything. So Brixie US is going to focus on our business here in the States uh, for the immediate moment. Okay, cool. And the other question is probably a long one for entrepreneurs that are not yet at the point where they're going to be contacting retailers for distribution, because you had that so buttoned up based on your co-founder's previous experience, what, I'm sure every every partner has their own um, specific list of things that they need, but mm -hmm. what would you recommend that people holistically prepare? How do you get ready for that? For distribution into retail? Yeah. Yeah, um, that's a great question. And timing is everything because it, I would say in order to get ready, you need to have money in the bank. First of all, you need to be able to have the funds to build the inventory to get into distribution, therefore into the retailers, right? Um, if you are just starting out, I would say a good way to go, if you're looking to grow slowly and methodically, and let's say you don't have a ton of funding yet, um, I would say, you know, approach the smaller retailers in your niche for us, that was health and natural markets. So like co-ops and other health and natural stores that are already offering like healthier, better for you products and would be really interested in sustainability as well. And they are um, approaching those smaller ones because you can still get a lot of customers within that realm without being in distribution. It is a little bit harder. They prefer you to be in distribution just to make things easy, but that doesn't mean they won't bring you in. So you could also use that as a way to gauge the interest um, and the expectation that you might have once you get into distribution, because what you don't want to have is get into distribution and then you're struggling to get into retail. Because if your product is sitting in distribution, that's a really big problem for them. And that will damage the relationship from the start if you don't already have orders flowing product out of their warehouses and into their customers. So I do think that if you're starting out and you wanted to start small and you've got a new concept or a new thing, maybe approaching those smaller retailers in your niche is the best way to go because then you can sort of gauge the interest, um, the sell through that you might have. And once you have a decent understanding of that, then go and approach your um, distribution partner. Um, or maybe you do it at the same time and you start having those conversations around the same time so that everything's kind of moving forward so that it all hits an inflection point at the right moment where retailers are saying yes, distribution is saying yes, because you can share all the people saying yes, they want your product. And then the distributor, go, distributor goes, oh, I see all you've got all these customers lined up, let's bring you in. Um, but with that, another thing to consider is the inventory that you keep. Um, because what you cannot do and you really don't want to do, especially with a larger retailer like a Whole Foods, a Sprouts, anything multi-store, you do not want to go out of stock. You go out of stock, it's like the kiss of death for CPG. So that's something to really consider. And that's going to be, it's going to be important to forecast, um, to take into consideration the current category sell-through at that retailer. So maybe working with that buyer to understand expectations um, what's happening today, what are their success rate, rates look like so that you can kind of plan for that. Um, and because, yeah, you don't want to go out of stock. It, it's a chain reaction of, you know, bad things once that happens because the retailers are losing money when things aren't on the shelf, distributors aren't getting passed through product, 
and everyone's losing. So um, that's something to definitely consider is how much inventory you're investing in and keeping um, at your warehouse prior to filling it into a distributor to go to retail. Okay. All right. That makes sense. Thank you for that. That would be super helpful for a lot of our listeners, I'm sure. When it comes to marketing for Brixie, as you said, this is not, a, you guys are so young to have done yeah. so much. What are the channels that you really leaned on first? And has that changed a lot to where you are now, 15 months down the line? Which channels um, are really working for you? And what do you use them for? Is it acquisition? Is it brand building? Is it visibility? Is it community building? What do you, how do you use, or how do you think of your marketing? How do you employ marketing? Yeah, so I would say that within the first year, we put most of our efforts and our marketing dollars towards retailer partnerships. So okay. um, we had, you know, an, a set amount of money that we were able to spend. Um, some of that went to product, some of for the marketing dollars specifically, a lot of that went to free fill for some of our larger partners, because that's just part of the deal. You have to give a certain amount in free fill to some of these large retail chains because they command that and you just mm -hmm. have to pay to play sometimes. So mm -hmm. having that uh, said, we didn't have as much marketing dollars going into like online um, influencers in year one as we could have probably. We wanted to put those into like, you know, the free fill and then the ad placements and all the ways that we can support our retailers as we launch to ensure success with them. With that said, we did take our remaining online budget and we use that even more for the retailers by doing influencer engagements on social media, specifically mentioning and highlighting that you can find Brixie in Whole Foods, that you can find Brixie in these local you know, co-ops and markets and, and retailers. So um, we really use like social media and online marketing and online ads, which we didn't do too much of the ads per se. We dabbled in that in the beginning and quickly saw that it wasn't returning any results. So we decided to take some of that money and put it more into like um, the community building on our social media channels, influencer partnerships, um, and really to highlight those, the retailers that we're going after. Um, and so we used it as a way to build brand awareness and community online. That was one of the big um, purposes and goals for us with our marketing. Um, but it was also to drive awareness of where to find us within the retail world. Because a lot of people too were just getting excited about getting back into their grocery stores and feeling comfortable. And um, that was a big movement back into actual brick and mortar that we wanted to support um, as well. So um, yeah, we kind of think of our marketing now in, in in year one, it was all about, you know, retailer success, um, the money that we need to um, participate with their programs, make them feel the warm and fuzzies that we're a mm -hmm. partner that's going to help make them successful. And then also online building a community, but also again, re um, addressing like where to find Brixie in stores. And again, tying that back to our retail buyers so they can see additional support that way. Um, now that we're in these wonderful retailers, we've had placement on the shelf for a few months. We're actually revisiting some of that strategy and I, we're not stopping anything, but we're now at a point where we can add to it, which is really exciting. So, um, now we're adding a little bit more specific, uh, creator partnerships within the sustainability world. Um, we're also trying to make sure that people know where to find us online more. And so we've got some really great online partners like Beautyology, which is an amazing, do you guys know about Beautyology.com? Because if you don't, yes. they're amazing. Um, we're on there. We want to, we want people to know where to find us online, but still be able to shop within health and natural fair trade, you know, the values that they, um, align with as a consumer. So we're really starting to shift. Well, I don't want to say shift. We're adding to 
um, the marketing mix of, you know, uh, ads and creator partnerships specifically for that world, the e-com world, but still within our niche of sustainability, fair trade, clean products, all that. And this, there are a couple, well, a lot of the, the entrepreneurs that we talk to, they because they are so serious about environmental sustainability, the products that they have um, have real potential, either they have or they have potential to really command a, and develop a cult following. And I think Brixie is like definitely one of those kind of brands, not just from the branding, but because of the the product in and of itself. And as you said, there's there's a bit of a, a social movement going on right now that lends itself perfectly to these kind of, of products. So I could see definitely um, Brixie having, you know, this kind of very loyal kind of cult following amongst all of them, particularly um, what we found on, on the B1 side is, um, you know, folks who are younger millennials and Gen Zs, they are so serious about yeah. folding environmental sustainability into their everyday lives. It's not even a question and they're so serious about it. So I could see your brand lining up very, very well with those, those audiences. Yeah, it's definitely, that's something that we've learned along the way, actually, is we sort of designed Brixie for the the young millennial Gen Zers um, that are so passionate. As you've said, we saw the same thing. Uh, we just had, a, you know, Kevin's son go off to university. So he just turned 19. He's at, you know, Michigan now. And part of his whole friend group, like they were all about like, you know, doing better for the planet and the space exploration, like all of these big grand ideas and like, taking, you know, control of the problems that they're seeing in the world and finding solutions. It's so exciting to see them do that. But one of the things that we've been really surprised by at Brixie is that the people that are really spending money and testing new products like ours, they're actually a little bit older than we thought. So we've got this whole demographic of older customers that are curious and open to the shift a little hesitant because they're you now a little bit older. So they've been doing these habits for a really long time. And, um, you know, getting anyone to change their habits takes education and, and time and, you know, to bring them around. But um, it's, it's really interesting because you do have that young demographic that is super passionate and very adamant about the lifestyle choices that they make being aligned with their values. We've also got this whole subset of, of older millennials um, up to 45 and 55 year old customers for Brixie and brands like ours that are very curious. They want to do better. They just are a little bit unsure, right? So we just have to like continually educate, continue to show them that it works, show them that it's safe, um, show them that their hair will be absolutely perfect, if not better than it was before. And you can also live sustainably in this way. So it's not an either or anymore. You can do both. You can have the beauty, you can have the the products that you love to use and the experience you want, but you can also be doing things that is in a better way for the planet, reducing plastic waste or waste in general. Um, so yeah, it's a nice, it's a nice mix actually of the young, passionate, you know, go-getters and then the folks that are like, I want to do it, help me do it, right? Make yeah, it like I need a practical yeah. way to put this in my life. So right. give me something practical. Exactly. Awesome. Okay. So we always end these conversations with the same way, in the same way. So kind of a bunch of rapid fire questions. Okay. Okay. So what are the rest of your, what are the, what do your plans look like for the rest of 2023? That is a hard question. So I feel like <laughs> plans change all the time, but today the plans for the rest of 2023 look like 
um, a heavy focus on the partners that we have. So the retailers that we have, we want to continue to make them successful. That will not change. That's going to be the probably primary focus for us for the rest of the year. Um, what we're layering in now is um, a lot more focus on e-commerce and online sales. And so that hasn't necessarily been our top priority because we, again, we wanted to get in front of the people that get it already to help our brand get out to consumers that get it already too. Um, and so now we're, we're trying to cast a wider net. So the rest of this year is going to be continuing to push along our retailer partnerships, make them successful, and then also um, add in the e-com push for, you know, higher funnel customers that are maybe not even thinking about it, but at least maybe spark curiosity and they're interested in that and being more sustainable is something a lot of people naturally will gravitate to by default. So um, yeah, layering in that next aspect of customers and getting more up funnel customers, seeing our brand, building brand awareness online um, is going to be a focus for me for the rest of the year as well. Okay. What can you see as being your biggest challenge for the rest of 2023? Oh yeah. The biggest challenge, and this is something that we learned, um, within our first year, but really became more solidified in our, as we began our second year was it, you know, when you're in it, when you pour your heart and soul into a business, right. And you um, live it and breathe it every single day, it's re and, and it's mission-based. So you're doing good and you're trying to make something that's like unique and better, not just for people, but also for the world. It's really easy to drink your own Kool-Aid <laughs> and feel like, everyone's going to love it and it's going to be amazing and we're going to explode. And I think that one of the biggest lessons that we learned in this last 15 months of business is that you really have to meet people where they are and you don't, um, we don't want sustainability to be something daunting or difficult or feel like people have to compromise for. And there's a whole segment of the population. Let me back up. You have to remember like this category that we're in is like the spec. It's a drop in the bucket of the masses that are using plastic bottles for all these various categories and products. So what we're doing is to us, our whole world, but in the reality of the, the market, we're such a small percentage of the segment. And so that means that there's a lot of people that still haven't heard of this concept of solid hair care that still are going to need that time to warm up to it, to have education in front of them enough that they'll get to a point of, you know, that first purchase and they're going to test the waters. So I think for us, the biggest challenge is going to be moving and growing while also educating and gaining more customers. Because I think that the sustainability movement is absolutely here and it's a growing category. Um, but the speed of that growth, I think we as a team, and you ask about, you know, biggest struggle or failure, I think we may have overestimated that slightly. Um, we're seeing success. We have a really great customer base now, but in terms of the category percentage, it's um, smaller than we expected. And that goes, I think, for us and other brands in the same category as us, you know, with similar products. I think we're all pushing together to grab our chunk of the market to make this more mainstream, and that will take time. So I think the biggest challenge for us is going to be to keep our heads down, keep positive, keep motivated, and keep doing what we do best. And that's making great products to make it easy to live sustainably. And the rest of the world will catch up. We just have to give them the time they need and meet them where they're at along the way and do the education that we need to do. That 
you are a fantastic guest and you anticipated already like three of my next questions. So oh. thank you. For that. <laughs> One of them was the most important lesson that you've learned today. You told us that the biggest failure today, <laughs> you just answered that as well. So thank you. The next one is if you could get 85% of the world to adapt a single behavior, what would that be? Uh, that would be being curious about the upcycle and down upstream and downstream effects, honestly, of all the products that you use in your day-to-day -day life. I think people think, oh, I'm just one person. What does it matter? But collectively, as we said in the beginning of the podcast, it takes a village, right? When you get the collective changing their behavior in a certain way, it does make an impact. So if I could get one per or one behavioral change for 85% of the population, it would be raising their consciousness about the upstream and downstream effects of the products they're choosing. So before you spend money on whatever product it is, um, you know, understanding a little bit or getting curious about what is it taking to go into this product? What does it take to make the packaging? What is the, where are the ingredients coming from? Are they, you know, coming from ethically sourced sustainable practices? Is this packaging going to biodegrade? Like, what are the effects of the ingredients in my system? You know, how does it affect me as a person? Is it safe? And then, you know, at the end of life, what's happening with that packaging and that product? Is it going down the drain? Could that cause problems in the water supply? Is this packaging going to a landfill? Can it get recycled? Um, and I think the recycling myth of plastic is just one of the biggest struggles that we face is that the reality is it's not, plastic is not getting recycled. 94% of plastic is ending up in landfills or oceans. And so we've sort of been sold this big lie of like, oh, we can just recycle it, it's fine. Um, so I think that I would just say, if I had to choose one behavior, it would be just getting people into a mental state where they're naturally curious and they're asking those questions about what is the upstream effects and the downstream effects of this product I'm about to buy and support. Um, and I think if you start to even ask those very high level questions, by, not, by default, people are going to start to get into uh, getting a better understanding and raising their consciousness on around what those things mean for themselves, for the planet for sustainability and the values that they hold as a consumer. And I think by default, that will start to shift things in the right direction. Um, and it will take time, but I think it'll be moving in the right, you know, moving us down the right path, so. Wonderful. And then can we get you to plug where we can find you? Website, socials? Oh, absolutely. Uh, stores, yeah. <laughs> you know, Whole Foods and Sprouts, but where all can we find you? Yeah, we'd love it if everyone would follow us um, on social and support us and be part of that community there. We're having a lot of fun. The, the tags for Instagram, TikTok, Facebook, it's all Go Brixie. So G-O and then B-R-I-X-Y, Go Brixie. Um, you can buy us in Whole Foods Markets nationwide. You can buy us in Sprouts nationwide. Basically, any of your natural health and markets in your towns, look for us there. If we're not there and we're in a ton, but if we're not, ask for us. Um, they'll know who we are. They'll know who I am, most likely. <laughs> um, and we're also in a lot of conventional markets, too. So, you know, even if you are going to, you know, a Raley's or a Hannaford, depending on the region of the world you live in here in the States, you know, they're starting to carry um, plastic free options. So go in and ask what they have. Ask for Brixie if you don't see us. Um, but we're in a, a subset of conventional markets too. And then for everyone shopping online and still needing that convenience factor, you know, we're on gobrixie.com. We're on Amazon as well. Again, meeting people where they are. We wanted to make sure that we're accessible. Um, and then of course, you know, beautyology, we're on macy's.com. Um, we're on walmart.com. So basically all the major marketplaces online and then a few really niche, wonderful partners like beautyology, 
Um, for our Gen Zers out there, you can even shop us on apps like Flip and Super Great. So, you know, we're trying to make sure sustainable options are available to people um, wherever they're, they like to go and do their shopping. So. Wonderful. Jen, a big thank you for stopping by. I feel like that was the tiny push, although you gave us a wealth of information, but that was a tiny push that I needed. I was telling Jen before we started recording that I have like three products that are just waiting for me to check out in my <laughs> gobrixie.com shopping cart right now. So I'm convinced that I'm going to go back there and order now and then have my mom hand bring these to me in London. So thank you very right. much, Jen, for stopping by. Absolutely. Thank you, Amber. And thank you, B1, for inviting me. It's been fun. And everybody else in the audience, we will see you on B1.